Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters. This is Matt. And I'm Matt too. I see we've changed our name on Facebook, Matt. Yeah, we did because, well, well, because it could be Matt and it could be other people and it could be no Matt. I might change my name to, I don't know, uh, I always like that name from Arrested Development, Bob Blah Blah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Maine Education but... Matters with Bob Blah Blah. <laughs> Actually, that sounds about right, I would say. It really is. It's very accurate. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about something that came out just after we recorded last week. Yes, it's been updated on June 11th. This is the Maine School's Return to Classroom Instruction Framework. Yay! And yeah, so we're, back. we're going back to instruction or to classroom instruction because, of course, instruction never really stopped. Well, I mean, it probably did in some classes and for some kids, but, sure. you know, generally speaking, the idea was it didn't stop. Well, let's, let's hope so anyway. Uh, so at this point, as we record, I, I believe most of Maine is out of school at this point. Kids have graduated. Uh, most kids are done. Yeah, I even think I, I know some folks up in the county, and they were saying that they were going until, uh, I believe, just last Friday. Gotcha. So basically, summer vacation is here for Maine students. Let's go to the beach. But make sure you socially distance. Let's go eat indoors. Oh, wait. Uh, that's called my kitchen. <laughs> that's I called know. my kitchen. <laughs> so this framework has come out and been released by the DOE. It's a 10-page uh, framework. And the first it's where... Five, I, it's a five-parter. It's a five-parter. The first part that I heard of it was uh, an article posted on uh, the Press Herald last week. And... It's, it's really good. There wasn't a lot of uh, superintendents who had read it as at this point, because I think they, they got the, the notice uh, on Thursday that it was out Thursday of last week. And then uh, it is pretty daunting and complex, as it says in some of these quotes. Yep. There's a lot to it. There, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of, for those of you folks who like computer science things or logic statements, like if, thens, or if and ands, um, like the very first part, which is all about uh, physical health and safety considerations, it's all if this and then this, all these letters that you have to have these. And if you have these first parts, well, then you also have to add in these other things in order to consider the physical health and safety of our, of our of the kiddos and the staff. So that's a lot of that. There's, there's not, it's not just a, oh, um, make sure you have a bunch of PPE and you're good to go. No, it's so much more than that. Yeah, which I, I think is good. I think some people are a little uh, disturbed by the amount of things that are in it. But yeah. we've always said, uh, I, I know administrators have always said, and school districts have always said that the, the main focus of schooling for a lot of administrators is to make sure the kids are safe, yep. right? That they all go home at the end of the day. And above anything else, that's a win, right? Well, I, I would also challenge so many schools and across this state um, will have some kind of like core value or mission statement, or they will have something. Uh, I, I know of two elementary schools where they say that their schools are going to be respectful, responsible, and safe. That's in their core tenets, the core values of who they are as a school. Well, if you're going to be well, safe and responsible, this is how you do it in this particular way, at least if you're going to be meeting the, the CDC guidelines 
Is it going to be easy? Hell no. No. Is it doable? We don't know. Yeah, that's that's the thing is we're in such a weird spot right now in the middle of June when kids are coming back about nine or ten weeks from now. Right. And nobody knows anything at this point. No, nobody knows anything. All we can do is try to look at what information that we have and then from there try to create some kind of a structure or a framework. That's how I like to work. I like to work in frameworks because you get ability to move within and you have your, 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 uh, your boundaries. This is how far you can go within those boundaries, go any route you want to go. Um, and so I think we have to work within there and not be so restrictive, but that's going to be hard given the amount of guidelines and requirements that, that there are. So let's talk about the five parts of this particular framework at this point. Uh, the first one you mentioned was about physical health and safety considerations. Uh, clearly needs to be the first one, so I'm glad it's first on the list. Right. Uh, actually like the way, the order that they did these things. Uh, part two was about social, emotional, behavioral, and mental health considerations. Uh, we've talked a lot about that over the past three months or so. Uh, part three is about academic programs and student learning considerations. Part four is about a common foundation for remote learning. And part five basically is other. Other. <laughs> <laughs> and then some. And or as then we said in a everything else. As we said in, your, in the previous episode, and Bob's your uncle. And Bob is your uncle. <laughs> that is pretty much in this case. And yes, Bob is my uncle. Uh, <laughs> so the very first part of part one is about physical health and safety. And it says, determines when it's safe to return to in-person instruction. And the very next line has got people wound up. At least, well, uh, let's put it this way. At least in the comments of newspapers, which for some oh. idiotic reason I, I actually read. I, I, I have, I have, a, I have a, uh, something to admit to you, Matt. Okay. Um, just you and me talking, right? Of course. So one of the things that I've become really kind of addicted to doing is looking at going, oh, no. is not even reading the articles <laughs> and just going to read the comments because yeah. I really want to see how low humanity can get because things aren't bad enough right now. <laughs> things aren't tumultuous enough right now. Things aren't depressing enough. I need to bring myself to a new level of low to see okay. how bad in articles these things can really get. And Matt, I got to tell you, it's pretty bad. You know what, Matt? It is worse than you think because those people that are commenting on articles in newspapers are actually might, might have read the articles. You right. want to see how low humanity goes? Read YouTube comments. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten to there yet. <laughs> just I haven't don't. Gotten to there yet? Just don't. Uh, listeners, just don't. If you find yourself doing it, uh, shut off your computer, go take a shower, and go get something to eat because <laughs> it is just wrong. Uh, so anyway, let's get so, back. Let's get back so to anyway, the line. What, what what got everyone all in a tizzy, and 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 I and deservedly so, and it's 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 right to be concerned about this. Is this line where it says, "quote." Main DOE, in partnership with CDC and, and, and MEMA, M-E-M-A, will determine when it is advisable for schools to begin in-person instruction. In other words, the, de the decision to return to in-person instruction will be up to 
the Maine Department of Education, CDC, MEMA, and of course, Governor Mills. And that's how this is reading. That's, and I think that is totally appropriate. Well, this, this, this raises kind of a question for me. Okay. And um, what are the things that I, I'm, I'm uncertain of, or I've been uncertain of is the executive order or the, the original bill that was praised, uh, 2167, that put us all into the emergency, put us all into a, a emergency shutdowns and put us into a state of emergency. That's what closed the school's physical buildings, closed in-person instruction. So we are still in that state of emergency, correct? Yep, it has been uh, re-executive ordered as of June 11th. So for another 30 days. So, so in, until early mid-July. At least, yes. Uh, at least, yes. So if the state of emergency is still going to be in place and continues to be kicked forward, then that means that the default is not going to be for in-person learning. The default for the fall is going to be for remote learning. And I've been in a lot of conversations where people are saying, we just don't know which way it's going to go. And... I think right now part of what we have to kind of consider is the default's going to be remote. I would say at this point that is absolutely true. Um, We're seeing spikes in 20 plus states across the country. I know yep. certain vice presidents are saying there is no second wave happening, um, but but you know in, in, in Wall Street Journal op-eds and whatnot. But you can see it might not be a second wave. It's probably still the first wave. It's just never went away. And we're going into our summer months and we're opening and people are going to be coming in and people from all over the place, whether or not they will be quarantining effectively or not, no one can say. So we have, we, we have to be very cautious about when we go back to school, if it will be safe, which is why I think you're right. Having this decision in the hands of the governor, the Department of Education, CDC, et cetera, is better than the superintendent's because then it'll be a competition. Much, much like I think it was, it was who's going to be the first one to close back in March. Yep. I, I remember those, those conversations, those like gossipy talks among uh, peers and colleagues was, well, who's going to be the first one to do it before we're told to do it. And I, I've been reading in the, in the paper the last couple of days that uh, China who has really done a great job the last month or two of locking it down and, and uh, not having as many cases. Mm -hmm. They've had a flare up in Beijing and they closed their schools. Uh, they opened their schools uh, like a month or so ago, but they had to immediately close them because uh, there's such a spike. And I, I am imagining that's going to happen somewhere in the fall if not in Maine and somewhere in the United States that people are going to open and then close again. Right. So we do need to be prepared for that. But I, I really think right. you were right the first time is that our default right now is remote learning. And if we're yeah, lucky, that needs to be the default. if we're lucky, we're going to go back to in-person learning or at least some version of partial in-person learning. And I think that's where most of the plans are, are heading, uh, which I'm sure they we'll have get to, to as, as we get going here. Right. I know. So in order to, in order for schools to open, in order for this to happen, in order for DOE, CDC, MEMA, the governor, in order to say, all right, in-person schools, you can open. 
uh, if they're going to be able to make those decisions, there are two conditions that they have to be made on. Why don't you walk us through some, well, at least the first one there, Matt? Because so the, 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 your narration voice is that of Morgan Freeman. Oh, well, thank you. So <laughs> the first one is about local or regional public health markers per the main reopening plan. And they talk about a downward trajectory of influenza-like illnesses and COVID-like syndromic cases. A lot of multi-syllable words there. I like it. Uh, a downward trajectory of documented cases and newly hospitalized patients. And I think that's one of the keys. And the capacity of local or regional hospital systems to treat all patients without crisis care and the ability of the state to engage in a robust testing program. Those are the three things about the first condition which have to be happening in order that it would be, uh, as it said before, when it's advisable for schools to begin in-person instruction. Those three things have to, have to happen for just the first part. Right, and it's one of the, one of the things that's gonna be interesting to see how they do is, is this going to be a statewide or is it going to be more regional county-based? I was just um, going to ask you that. Because if it's going to be statewide, well, let me just go back to this way. If it's going to be regional, I see the desire to do that. I get it. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense. If you're up in the county and it's all everything's done in your county, things are going to be different in those different places. Yep. So why can't, you know, why can't um, Aroostook open up when your county needs to be closed? I get that. The challenge that I'm having in squaring that circle in my own head is people cross county lines all the time. Whoa, what? And so, I mean, I just to get to my work, I go through several counties. And um, it's a thing where I know, you know, if I live in, let's say, Sagadahawk County, that's a small county. We're surrounded by well, Cumberland's right near us, Kennebec's right near us, et cetera. Lincoln's right near us. Well, my kids go to school in Sagadahawk. Teachers are going to be coming from all those other counties. That's why it doesn't make sense to me that some of these orders, like I, where I live is less than a uh, crow flies mile to Cumberland County. Mm -hmm. They have to have, you know, indoor, no indoor seating for restaurants, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my town, they can, but it's less than a mile away from each other. You know? It, it, it is a, a very interesting uh, dilemma when you put it that way. It, I, so if, if they're going to think of these terms, I would strongly recommend think not just if you're going to think regionally or county wise, actually do put like a buffer zone in between. So, you know, you ever seen those Venn diagrams like a DMZ? Exactly like a DMZ. <laughs> I, 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 Without run things, DMZ, right? <laughs> clearly, it gets a little tricky, but it does. Uh, it's uh, anyway. Let's... I know. No, no more. No more. <laughs> We're going but down the joke I don't hole even know, here. I don't even know if that makes sense. What I do know I have a real hard time with is this whole county by county thing. Unless yep. you just want to, unless you want to say something like, all right, well, uh, like a rustic doesn't have anything. Great. Uh, York and Cumberland, let's say they have a high influx. Okay, so you're going to, so for Rustic, you guys can open, but we're going to shut down all the way through Kennebec, or we're going to shut down all the way through Penquist or something like that, because Rustic could be fine. So there's that buffer zone, that DMZ zone. But even still, there's still this level of 
transmission that could easily happen. That's one of the things that I'm having struggling with. So to get back to what you originally said, those three points, downward trajectory of uh, the illnesses and cases, downward trajectory of hospitalized cases, new cases, and then making sure that the hospitals and local um, healthcare facilities can handle it. That's the first step. It's the first step. So it's downward trajectory. And I don't know if you've seen, but I don't think we're there yet. Nope. Well, that's the thing is it's only June 17th as we record this. Uh, School's open uh, last week of August, early September. So we got a ways to go. We do. Uh, The one that I think is the most key from the, the information I've been reading about is about the newly hospitalized patients. Uh, especially as Maine ramps up their testing, which has happened over the past few weeks, you're going to have more cases. Uh, but they talk about the percent of positive cases versus negative cases, uh, the amount of hospitalizations. Uh, that's the key right there, right? We don't want to mm-hmm. overwhelm the hospital system. That's the whole flattening the curve thing. That's, that was, that's the entire point of why we went out. Point. So, it's so that not we wouldn't a- overwhelm our healthcare system. Right. So that we would be able to treat those who got sick. So it's not necessarily about the number of cases. It's about the number of hospitalizations, I would say. Um, But again, those are things that aren't really happening quite yet. Uh, I think the news has gotten better in Maine for the past few days or so. But again, it's just a few days. And if it's once it's over a weekend, everything drops a little bit on the weekend. because they just don't get as many reports as before. Uh, we haven't right. even gotten to the second part. I know. That, well, that, well, that, that's the thing. This whole first part has gotten people like, this is what has to happen. DOE is going to make the decisions, and this is how. And it's it just people like devolved from there, as our podcast has clearly shown and, <laughs> and demonstrated and exemplified. <laughs> so true. Uh, the second part is about the uh, CDC's school capacity and readiness markers. And this is where the daunting part really comes in. It starts here, yeah. Uh, so can you, can you follow local state orders? Great. Are you ready to protect children and employees at higher risk for severe illness? So if you have a pre-existing condition or if you have something, a respiratory disease that might, or, or a condition that might be exacerbated if you were to contract uh, the COVID-19, how is the school gonna be able to protect you? Yep. Um, screening students and employees upon arrival are you that's, able to do that? That's the trickiest one right there. I and think. for history or of exposure. The trickiest one so far <laughs> out of three. I mean, pro- things like promoting healthy pra- hygiene practices and employing employees wearing cloth face masks. That's all going to be, that's doable. That's things that yep. CARES fact funds can, can help cover. Um, capacity for cleaning and disinfection. Those things are underlined um, on, this, on this thing. They're also highlighted. But there's one that I think the, next, the, the third part is often underlooked mm-hmm. adequate ventilation yep what what i'm hearing recently is that you know being outdoors you're less likely you still can but because of the massive amounts of ventilation because it's outdoors mm-hmm. it's harder to contract i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor please don't take me that that's just some news that i've been reading and things that i've been hearing mm-hmm. but inside it's a lot more stale so and a I'm, lot of schools have don't have windows that can fully open. Well, they don't have there's these safety and security windows that can only open a couple of a couple of inches, and so, or from the top, so it's all very stale, recycled air in there. 
I hear about the putting fans in windows a lot to promote uh, the moving around of air. And again, not a doctor or scientist here, but moving around the air isn't the same as adequate ventilation. No, it is not. Uh, it just kind of doesn't, wouldn't it just move around those little coronavirus viruses? You know, you have that button in your car for the ventilation. You could just bring the air straight in or mm-hmm. you can press that recycled air Yep, where it just kind of spins it around and yeah, it might go through your air filter, Yep, but you're still, you're still getting through. That's what putting the fan in the window is. It's just recycling, moving the air that's already there. Then my, my favorite part about this is that how do you put fans in the windows and leave the windows open uh, when it's like four degrees outside? Right. You know, and I, 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 I know I've moved to California, but I'm pretty sure it still gets to four degrees in Maine at some point. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that's something that happens in Maine. Does it get cold here? Do we get snow? I'm not is, that sure. a, is, that a, is that a known known or is that a known unknown? Or Again, is that an unknown known or an unknown unknown. Isn't it two weeks ago that you guys had a frost warning? <laughs> we, we had we had May we had snow on May 18th. <laughs> Again, people wonder why I moved to California. That's weird. I get it. Um, so, so there's all these other little steps, and we don't have to go through them all. No, but no, but it's, there it's are too long. But for, just for health and safety purposes, there's a laundry list of things, procedures, trainings, and capacity and preparations to, think to make sure that you have in order to be in person. And if you have all those things, great. Those are just the first two things that you have to do in order to be content, in order to say you can reopen. If you can do those things, great. Then you have to prepare for reintegration. Then you have to prepare the facilities. Then you have to educate staff, families, and students prior to reentry. And that is the end of part one. (laughs) One out of five. It does seem, uh, uh, as I said, daunting. I mean, daunting. And, you know, I, I know that some of the school districts have... Uh, more people to help with this. I, I was reading some of the some of the uh, parts that weren't in this framework about you know make sure you involve your nurses and your buildings and grounds people and your transportation yep. people. Uh, I just left a district uh, that that person was all the same person, the superintendent. Right. And the amount of work that would have to be done here in a small district where there is not a lot of district level people to help. Um, Staggering. Makes, makes it even more daunting to ever open again, it would seem. If these it's, are the things that you really have to do to keep your kids safe. And I, I think, again, the first part of this is to keep the kids safe and to keep the adults safe too. Yeah, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a Portland or a Lewiston or a Bangor, you're the, one of the bigger districts in the state, SD6, et cetera, you're going to have people doing these specific chat covering these specific things. You'll be able to have people to go focus on the transportation side yep. or the, um, the, health, the, the, the nursing side and the PPE stuff. You can have someone on facilities. But in the smaller districts, which way outnumber the bigger districts, you're not going to have those people. And that's going to be the issue where they're going to be looking around saying, who's going to do this? And it's going to fall on one or two people in that district to kind of coordinate it all and it's a monumental task 
and something we've never had to deal with. And that's the thing that's so daunting for so many districts and so many places right now too. I, I think that's one of the reasons that the DOE is taking such a lead at this point, at least I hope it is, is that I know in, in the district I just came from, I would be leaning on them quite a bit for support yeah. and help. And what do you have for, what does this look like? Do you have some guidelines, some further guidelines about, you know, section E part B? Uh, how do you, how do we do that when there's only like two people in our district that can, that can do these things? So I think the DOE is going to have to step up. Uh, again, as we've said for the last year and a half or so, the DOE is really stepping up all the time uh, and doing a fantastic job at promoting these things. So the people who yell about local control a lot, yes, but realize there also needs to be somebody to actually do this work in the districts. And if there's support right. from the state, that's a fantastic move. You want to talk about the other parts? Eh, I don't know. Maybe we should make this like a multi-part podcast. Like I think we're going to have to, uh, because some of this is, again, we're, we're going to, let's, let's go through some of them. Uh, fortunately, yeah. uh, part two about social, emotional, behavioral, and mental health is only about a page long, which is nice. Um, about a page long. And, and, and it comes, it sh this stuff should be on the forefront of everyone's mind. And I know from the meetings that I've been in, it is. And that everyone recognizes that everyone has gone through, or by the time that we get back in August, September, everyone will have endured six months of this trauma. Students, yeah. teachers, families alike. So we have to make sure that we are focusing on the mental health, um, communication and connection, finding places to make sure that we are being transparent as possible, answering our family's concerns and questions, et cetera. I think one of the uh, bright spots that's going to come out of this is that we should be doing these things anyway, even if yeah. we were back to normal school, which I think we both realize is never going to happen again, but these are just good practices, mm -hmm. period. Uh, the part A talks about prior to, to re-entry, doing all these different things about in information and planning for trauma-informed practice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Structuring a re-entry to support the unique, unique needs of your school community. Talks about mental health staff, counselors, social workers, educators, differentiated approaches, uh, consider different models. Uh, frequent check-ins with staff, which I think gets overlooked sometime. It does. And ongoing things about encourage vigilance with respect to student and staff mental health, and then a whole number of other things. But really be more aware of that now that we've gone through three months of it in this spring and then a few months off and now we're back to school and assuming it's going to be remote again uh, there's a lot of kids who just were not successful and we as educators it's our job to figure out how to make it successful right not just hope for something else no we have to design it we have to figure have, it out yeah we're the ones that have to do it but i think we all realize the importance of uh connecting with kids and especially if it's difficult over zoom over phone calls whatever it may be we need to make more of an effort to make sure these kids are okay yes all the same things we've been talking about for and, a while. and using using the variety of tools we have accessible to us whether it's at zoom email um i know of teachers who 
um, took a lot of their instruction and a lot of their communication right onto Facebook and to Facebook Live and to Facebook Kids yep. Messenger. Why? That's where the parents are. Yep. It's an app that they understand. It's an app that they can know how to use. They also know how to monitor with their kids. Yep. So they met them where they are. Yep. Yes, because if you want to create communication, don't have them go to 19 different links. Yep. Meet them where they are. Build that bridge of connection communication, and then you can start feeding in these other little layers. Oh, yeah, here's my Google Classroom, or here's some cahoots, yep. or here's some of this. But start with the connection and communication, which is why I love this framework in a way, because one, starts with help and safety. Then two, the next is all about connection and communication, which is the right places to start if we're going to yep. be talking about it, when we're talking about instruction and, and re-entry, whatever that means. So I think in part three, where it talks about academic programs and student learning, it kind of gives away the game right in part A, yep. where it says engaging staff in professional development over the summer in preparation for remote, in-person, and blended learning models. It's if, if districts, and th this is going to be one of the biggest challenges that teachers face and that school districts face between now and the beginning of the school year, um, is that teachers, our school systems need to shift our mindset from the compliance, everyday content-based model to an integrated, project-based, blended learning model that's going to be accessible for people um, in person, at home, or a bit of both, synchronously, asynchronously, all this stuff happening simultaneously. Now, so one would argue, shouldn't we have been doing that for, for, all, for a long time now? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should have, but we didn't have to yep. because we had, we had the way that was here. Well, now we have to be thinking about it in this way. And we have to because of the health and safety and social and emotional learning needs of our, of our kids. This is what comes third. So in order to do that, we need to be prepared. And so we didn't have time to think about it in March. We were in school on a Thursday and then we didn't come back. We have time now to think, <laughs> plan, and learn. We do have a problem though, Matt. What is that? Who's going to pay for all this training and preparation? Yeah. And I think that is what people uh, listening. Thank you for listening, by the way. Uh, thank you so very much. You're screaming into your headphones right now saying, yes. However, who's going to pay for all that training? Who's going to pay for all the teachers that need to come in? Mm -hmm. Or if, if they don't come in uh, online, take their time to learn about these things, which is a extremely fair point. It's 100% completely fair, justified, and the correct question to ask. Yep, because it won't happen otherwise. That's, it won't happen. That is the really troubling part. And I mean troubling in a way, not just that they, they should be doing it anyway, should be getting paid. No, I think that if you, if you work, you should be getting paid for this. And this is, is this going above and beyond? Yes, some might say no. But in other ways, it, this is, yeah, you're, this is, it, it, it is never been done before in this right. particular way. So we need to honor that, honor the experiences. But where's the money going to come from? And if it's District not... budgets are already set. They're being voted yeah. on in, in a month time. You're not going to be adding in a bunch of money. Plus, more places than not are holding on to their purse strings more closely if they're not cutting due to a lot of the 
budgetary shortfalls Maine's going to be having due to this COVID-19 crisis, due to loss of tax revenue over the course of this last few months. You know, they're thinking they're looking long term budgetarily. Mm -hmm. So it's good. This is a major challenge. How how can we pay for them? Yes, there's CARES Act funds that are coming in. That only goes so far. Yeah, I don't think that districts will be able to rely on CARES Act funding to provide for training for these teachers. Uh, I know a lot of districts have planned that money on other things to help them get to the learning part, not just the training part, whether it's buying some extra technology uh, to help their kids when this happens again. Right. Uh, I know that's what I, I would say most districts are doing at this point is trying to figure out uh, what do we need now that this is the new reality? What do I need to physically make this happen with our learners, not thinking about training our teachers and paying them? Uh, that needs to happen with some other type of funding. And I am sure that the DOE is working with the legislature and the governor to try to figure this out. Uh, and of course, they don't tell us everything, contrary to popular belief. No. So I'm sure that's happening, but we won't know until it is like close to being done, which right. I think is totally fair. Um, Cause yeah. you know, once things are out, then rumors happen and I'm only going to get so much and the bigger districts get more and blah, 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 blah. Uh, right. It's it's, but that money you're right. It has to come from somewhere, but I do like what they are talking about in the C part here. Uh, when it talks about encouraging visionary risk takers to create non-traditional models and plans. This is a time for innovation and big thinking. Hell yeah. yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know we've talked about this before, um, whether it's on the pod or off the pod, but nothing is off the table when it comes to helping our kids. Right. And if it's the weirdest thought ever, which I'm sure that we've had a few, then it can, always be, <laughs> it can always be adjusted how kids learn a little bit better. You know, the, the spark that it takes to help with our kids, uh, it doesn't have to look like it did before. And I know we would both argue it can't look like it did before. It can't. It wasn't it, working. It, it wasn't working for all kids. It was, for all it kids. Was, it, and, and, that, and that is an essential. If we really believe all kids, it wasn't working for all kids. Um, and it, it, yeah, uh, it is time for visionary risk takers to take over this and to really start, um, show, showing the way. And I've said this before on this pod, I believe, and maybe other places too. I don't know either on or off the pod we've talked, but it's, um, it's one of those things where if you have an idea, even as ridiculous as it sounds, put it out there mm -hmm. because what's going to happen if you're, if you're doing something that in your class that really works, put it out there, share it. Because what might be just ridiculous nonsense or even just commonplace for you could be someone else's game changer. Someone could take that idea and say, oh, I saw this and I'm going to turn it into something else. I want to adjust it. If I just look at this one particular idea through a different kind of perspective or lens, then we might be able to solve that issue. The idea is good. You just might you you might not be looking at it through a lens of that could that could get you there. So put it out there, so that we could all work together to, to to solve these major problems, no matter how crazy the idea is. Agreed. Let's 
let's stop there. Okay. Uh, you said at the beginning of this that this is a very long framework and we should do it in multiple parts. Uh, I tend to agree with you because there is a lot more and I would yep. really like to talk about the academic programs and student learning one and then especially the common foundation for remote learning and to yep. see what those are and what it looks like and what it could look like. I know we've, we've talked a lot about that before about uh, turning everything to project-based learning. If kids are gonna be at home, they don't need daily instruction and worksheets. They no. need to be doing other things that involves them and engages them. So let's, let's dig and into that next And for that, I can, I can also uh, share some of the work that's actually being done through Maine Department of Education and 400 or so plus educators who are actually developing some project-based modules uh, across all content areas and grade levels to showcase and be exemplars for people and to be able to use come this fall, September 1st. That's right. That's the thing that it was for Maine educators only, right? Right. Not, yeah. not you. But not that me. Was a, Underlined Maine. Underlined Miami. Yes. If it, originally, it was a hyperlink, and it, it went to your email address. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they took that down for legal reasons. I totally agree. Uh, or they listen to us, either one. Probably both. <laughs> Probably both. Uh, so let's dig into that next week. But uh, I think uh, we will put links to this framework all over social media. Yes. Uh, it is well worth reading, even though it is 10 pages and a lot of stuff. And again, complex and daunting, yes. But it's something we can do. Yeah, I, I would strongly encourage, look over the, the stuff about social emotional learning and health and safety those are really important, but those are also things that are done at the district administrative level. If you're a teacher, educator listening to this, your classroom teacher or ed tech, read those things, great, know them, but dive into part three and part four. Yep. Because that, well, we'll talk about that in our next pod because that's really where the, the, the meat's gonna be. And once you really have parts three and four down, pretty much anyone can jump into part five other. Yes. There's lots of cool stuff there and it's all over the place. It, 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 it rounds out. <laughs> it, it fills in the gaps <laughs> of parts one through four. Where, well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call many of these gap fillers because they're kind of essential. That, like transportation. Yeah, that's pretty essential. Child nutrition programs. Mm, yep. Essential. <laughs> yep. Uh, CTE, where can you, yeah, essential. Where can you find us for all these links? Well, of course, you can go onto Twitter at Maine Ed Matters. You can find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Maine Education Matters. And uh, if you don't want to do any of that, just go to our website, maineeducationmatters.weebly.com. Perfect. And with that, we will talk to you next week about more parts of this framework. Yep. Bye. Bye.